Welcome to Mysterious Goings On, the podcast about creativity, writing, and mystery. Every week, we talk about all kinds of great fiction and meet the people who write it. We also feature explorations about creativity in all walks of life. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will join you right after this. This October, uncover the secrets of the Silver Screen with Silver Screams from Mysterious Goings On. <laughs> Prepare yourself for a spine-tingling cinematic journey. Welcome to Silver Screams, a limited series from Mysterious Goings On, your trusted haven for all things unsettling and enigmatic. Film critic and screenwriter Lucas Hardwick joins Alex Greenwood. Together, they'll dissect iconic Halloween films that have captivated audiences and delve into under-the-radar gems that deserve your attention. Expect hauntingly insightful analysis, compelling storytelling, and perhaps even a chilling revelation or two. Whether you're a seasoned cinephile or a casual moviegoer, this series is designed to elevate your Halloween experience to a whole new realm. Don't miss a single scream. Follow Mysterious Goings On wherever you get your podcast to make sure this special series doesn't vanish into the abyss. Get ready to scream, debate, and discover this Halloween season with Silver Screams, available absolutely free, so there's no excuse to miss out on this cinematic haunt. Follow Mysterious Goings On now and keep the lights on. You've been warned. <laughs> Well, the spooky season is upon us, and we have a bite-sized treat for you. Welcome to Alex's Apparition, special Halloween-inspired shorts for subscribers to Mysterious Goings-On, available on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcast. With Alex's Apparitions, you get your host, yours truly, Alex Greenwood, and I take you to a graveyard haunted by a spectral string section, then to sunny Key West for two legendary stories that are as eerie as they are fascinating. And who knows what else I might have in my trick-or-treat bag of tricks. Subscribe now and never miss an apparition, but be warned, ghosts appear and fade away, and so will these special episodes. All will vanish from our feed by the end of All Saints Day, so hurry, subscribe now, if you <laughs> dare. <laughs> You remember when everybody used to say, wake up and smell the coffee, you know, or they, you know, tell you, you don't know beans about coffee. I don't know. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to listen in today and you're going to perk right up. OK, I promise I'm done. I OK, I'm, I'm actually not promising I'm done, but there'll be more. But for now, I'll stop because I am so excited. You know, we we have guests from all over the world on this show, but I've got somebody who's just practically next door and she runs the best coffee shop in the whole Kansas City area. I just love what she's done with it. And she's not only a great coffee shop maven and got her beans in the stores and doing all this stuff. She's written like nearly a dozen books or something like that. And she's in my genre. I mean, come on. How could I not beg Kristen Helling to join me here on Mysterious Goings On? It, I did, and she said yes. It's so great. She enjoys stories with a journey, whether it's a journey across the globe, a journey through space, or a journey of finding oneself. 
She writes adult fiction thrillers, and when she's not killing people, fictionally, that's what she says, she also has a passion for children's stories and writes them under the pen name Kristen Ali's. Kristen owns a coffee shop, as I said. She co-owns the publishing imprint Word Wraith Books, is married to a photographer, and is mama of two, and their hairy sibling, a Collie Shepherd mix. And as if she had nothing better to do, she's going to chat with us today here on Mysterious Goings On. Kristen Helling, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. That was so nice. <laughs> oh, well, it's so nice to you. I'm just going to start right there. Where do you find the time? <laughs> I get this question a lot. And honestly, it just comes down to one word, uh, a very loaded word, balance. <laughs> so I have all these different facets of my life, you know, family, coffee shop, writing, publishing and print. And um, each one um, kind of takes its turn uh, taking more of my attention than others. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, the coffee shop requires a lot of my attention and there's a lot going on and I have to be behind the counter because, you know, labor challenges. And and during those times, my husband steps up and he knows, okay, we chose this lifestyle of you owning this business. And so it's my turn to step in and run the show over here. You know, we try to to do it as um, equally as possible. But when my when I'm stretched in different directions, he'll step up. And then in other ways, um, you know, when I'm working on my books and the coffee shop's kind of in the background a little more, I have a really um, great manager team that, you know, my my lead manager has been with me for seven years and I really trust him. And um, so I feel okay leaving that portion of my life to the background a little bit while I work on this. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a little um, dance and can be challenging at times. And before children, I could put out a book in eight months and now, <laughs> you know, it's take, it's taken a little bit longer than that. We'll say a couple of years, but, <laughs> but there's always something in the works. Basically I have chosen that my books are not the thing that's going to put food on our table. So I don't full-time write. I, the goal is to make money with my passion, but it's not the the main source of our income. So, so coffee shop most of the time will come first. And then after the kids go to bed at nine, from nine to 11 is like my me time. And that's when I write, if I'm not binging Netflix. So, <laughs> so you got to have those days too. You know, I love your perspective though. Um, I have a PR and marketing firm that I've run for 14, almost 14 years. And my books, I wish my books were my number one moneymaker. There's some years that are really nice and some years that eh, not so nice. And, but I, I made that same kind of decision myself. I have a daughter and my, you know, my wife and I, and we, we have a lot going on, but I still find the time like you do to write. And I think it's important to me. And I'm sure a lot of the writers that are listening out there will get this. It's just, you need this time to, some people make it sound like they're, you know, having to, you know, exercise demons. I don't know if it's quite that bad for me, but I do like to express myself in a way that I feel like I can only in my books and my short stories. But, but I like that you've just said, you know what, for now, at least my priority is I've got to make a living. You're, I'm going to make a living at the coffee shop and uh, the books will supplement that, which leads me to ask you a question about your coffee shop. Um, you have, and you just improved it. It was so great already, but you, you've got this whole nook for writers and particularly it's a lot of local writers and you're, you're so supportive of that. So I was just curious, uh, tell us a little bit about that, how many writers you've got in there. And would you say, part two of the question, would you say that a lot of those writers are a lot like you and I, They they have day jobs, but their their passion, their dream is is writing. I guess to just be brief about my history yeah. with the shop. Yeah. 
I did not um, open the shop. So there was a previous owner in 2010. I started on not too long after that, about a year and a half after he had opened the shop. And I worked for him. Um, I was the the store manager for about four-ish, five years until I bought the shop. So I bought the shop in 2017. Um, so I'm now a fun milestone. I've now owned it longer than he did. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. When I bought the shop, I saw this opportunity to use my platform to um, kind of support both of my passions, coffee and, you know, and books and writing. And so I had my books in a couple local coffee shops and I hate to say this, but or I'm sorry, not coffee shops, uh, local bookstores. And mm. I hate to say it, but the, there was one in um, Lee Summit and there was one in Overland Park and they both went out of business. And it, that's so sad. And so the way that I was thinking about it was I want to make another physical location that local authors can sell their books in because there aren't a lot of you know places like that unless you're going to local comic cons or festivals or and so most of our income is ebooks and virtual and there's not a lot of opportunities where people can come and peruse your your books in person and so i knew that that was going to be part of my plan with the changes that i made when i came in i ended up uh, when I originally started working at the coffee shop as like an entry level barista, I had thought that it was a transition job for me. I was like, <laughs> I need to get out of this like old job that I was in that was stealing all of my creative energy. I needed to, I was graduating with my bachelor's in English and I was like, I'm, I need to write books. That's like, it, it's going to happen. Um, you know, I had this passion to write books since I decided I was going to be an author in seventh grade. So I was like, I'm going to write books after I graduate college. <laughs> and um, so I was like, I'm going to get a job at this coffee shop just to transition into what I'm going to do to allow me to write books. And then I just kind of like fell in love with the coffee industry. And I realized this is the kind of job I can make a balance with. I can work this job and write my books. And that was my goal all along. So I just kind of fell into that. It was a career that almost fueled my creative energy, which is like the ultimate goal for a writer or a creative wow. person. So that's why I, you know, stuck around so long and it just, yeah. So it's been, um, it's been great in that way for me, but, um, but also opening the book nook. So I have, oh my gosh, it's, so, it's exploded. So we started with a few little shelves upstairs in my loft uh -huh. area and it just grew and grew and grew. And um, I was going to Comic-Con selling my book and I would do panels where up there I would say, you know, if you're local to Kansas City, I've got a book nook that you can sell your books at. And so I was kind of like word of mouth telling people that, you know, they have a space for their books if they want it. It just grew and grew. And now I have more than like 82 authors and <laughs> more than like 112 books. It it's crazy. And so um, I do my when I'm doing my inventory, I like touch every single book to see, you know, um, how many we have, what the payouts are going to be for the authors. Another really important thing for me was that I, you know, um, it's still a business. So I do take a commission. We sell on consignment, uh, but I didn't want it to be a break the bank commission for the authors because I'm also on that end. So I went with 20%, which anything, anywhere I've sold my books, it's always 30 or more. And so I was like, 20% is like, I am uh, fulfilled with the coffee shop and selling these. And the author is fulfilled with keeping as much of the profit as they can. So, um, so we went with that. And then, um, so yeah, recently, um, just earlier this year, with the expansion of my roasting facility across the street, which is a whole nother conversation, it opened up some space in the downstairs of the coffee shop. 
So that is where I took that space and I turned it into another seating area that was comfy and kind of like quiet and cozy. Um, And I moved the books down there because my goal was for more visibility because going up the rickety old steps, you know, not a lot of people, we even know they were up there. Right. right? And then accessibility. So people with disabilities that couldn't get up the stairs um, or couldn't access it. You know, somebody just told me they brought their 92 year old grandma to the shop the other day. She was so excited to look at the books that never would have happened before with it upstairs. So I, when I got told that story, I was like, my goal achieved that I can go home now. That's all I wanted was that, you know, the accessibility and the visibility of these books. So now every time somebody walks to the back to go to the bathroom, they're passing by those books. And, and then, um, another little small detail of another goal I had was I wanted all of the books to be forward facing. I want everybody to see the covers right away instead of the, instead of just the spine, because when you go to a bookstore, there's only a few featured ones, but it's all spine. And as authors, we spend a lot of time on our covers, a lot of research, a lot of, there's a lot of psychology involved in your covers and it lends to genre, which will help somebody to pick it up. And so that was also very important element for me. (laughs) So bless your heart, because that is all the writers out there going, I wish, I wish I lived in Parkville, Missouri. Yeah, you do. Don't you? Because that (laughs) is so great. I mean, you know, you talk about bookstores, like I was in a couple of bookstores. Yeah. One of them, I did a signing there once and then it was like three months later they closed. And of course I joked and said, I, I'm a bookstore killer. It must've been me. It had nothing to do with <laughs> me, me. It's just, but it's just, the, it's just the nature of the beast. Bookstores are, it's, it's a, it's a tough slog, but just to get shelf space is one thing, but you're not only offering shelf space, you're offering it a basically a premium deal. You're basically saying, cover my, just cover my basics here, authors, and I'll give you the rest. And you're doing, look at all the covers. I've, I've always just loved that. And I remember the first time I asked, uh, my, my books are in there, folks, by the way, the John Pilot Mysteries are in there, or, or a few of them are. And I've sold a few there, so thank you. And But I remember uh, asking, I thought, well, at first I thought, well, wow, maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe she won't accept him, you know, or something like that. No, you've just been nothing but nice. And I love how it's you every quarter, I guess, or so we hear from you about, you know, if, you know, if you didn't get an email saying you sold anything, you didn't get anything. Which is so sweet. (laughs) I don't want people sitting there like, did I sell anything? Like, I feel so bad. (laughs) And it's not one. (laughs) But but that's what I love about it is because you're, you're, you're one of us and you, you, you treat us with respect and, and uh, I just, just my hats off to you, Kristen. I just think it's fantastic. Hey, let's, let's shift gears for a second here. I I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, tell us about what you write. Yeah. So um, since the beginning of time, I stay in the thriller you know, uh, track, but I have quite a few, um, sub genres of thrillers. So I'm not sure. Um, I have 11 books out. I'm not sure that I've chosen a lane yet, honestly. Um, and so I stay within the thriller because I love the, uh, I think my writing just, um, just like follows that track in terms of pacing and um the the tropes and everything so so um that's kind of where i stay of course they all have like subplot elements of like romance and um just different things and that but that's not the primary so um so my first book i ever wrote was a or ever published i guess i have books that i've written that are will never see the light of day as everyone does the first one i ever published was actually a soft sci-fi thriller um, but essentially it's like a psychological thriller in space. 
Um, so the setting just manifested as being inside of a spaceship, but I say soft sci-fi because the technological element of the sci-fi is like a sentence or two to explain why these things can happen. And the rest is basically like a character study. So, um, so that's the first one. Uh, and it's just a standalone cause I had to get it out of my system. Um, and so my next two are uh, series. So I went after that, I went into uh, crime kidnapping uh, <laughs> thrillers. I wrote uh, a four book um, series called Mastermind Murders. Uh, and I, um, you know, I got my degree in English, but my minor is in psychology. And I chose a minor that I thought would help me, you know, with character building my ultimate goal of writing books, right? So I chose uh, a track that would help me with that. And so when studying psychology, you study the history of, um, of, you know, where we are today with psychology, all these different studies that have happened, some very inhumane studies from our past as humans. And so each book is actually like um, a retelling of those those um, studies. Mm -hmm. So uh, just for a small example, the first book is based off of the Stanford prison experiment from the 70s. Oh, if yeah. you're familiar. So that oh, yeah. one is kind of like based off of that where um, a guy was in college and auditioned to be a part of that study and wasn't chosen because he was psychologically un you know, unstable. Um, and all these years later, um, he's now, you know, an older in, in his sixties and he's gonna, he's decided that he's gonna do that study better. So <laughs> it's really creepy. Um, but the sub the books after that are each just based off of different studies from our past. So that's that series. Um, and that series was really dark. I was in the mind of some serial killers. So I had to take a break between some of those books. And that's when I wrote my kids' books. So I needed to go to a happy place. <laughs> and um, and so I wrote kids' books in between being in those like demented characters' minds. Um, and then, uh, but you know, of course I had a pen name them because I can't have them next to my serial killer books. Yeah. So, and I was going to elementary schools and reading my books and one of my, one of my kids books is called spider yoga. And so you can pair like a yoga class inspired off of the book with like toddlers. And oh. so, um, I couldn't be going to these, you know, children's like classrooms and yoga mommy and me or parent and me classes and have, you know, the parent goes to look me up and they see these serial killer books. So I pen named those and then after that, um, I had my children and my my brain like switched. So <laughs> I all of a sudden had no desire to write about these things anymore. Yeah. You know, like I just felt like uh, it was just too much to be in that mind space, having this perspective with raising tiny humans in this kind of world. So yeah. I, I moved into action adventure. So I've been in action adventure now for um, several years. And um, so I wrote a uh, trilogy called the Idea Man series about a writer and an inventor and their stories intertwining. Um, and it's based in um, it's like a traveling book. So there's like um, a lot of it's based in Kansas City, which was really fun to write. My covers have some Kansas City um, uh, landmarks on them. So people recognize them when they're local. Um 
And it, uh, there's travel to uh, France and there's travel to Chicago and San Francisco. And so, um, so the, per the, um, if you want to look it up, the true man is, uh, the third book in the trilogy and that one, everyone's like, Oh my God, I recognize that. <laughs> Cause he is, uh, standing up top of, uh, the world war one memorial overlooking the, I, the I see. I thought that like, see, I didn't know. And I did I thought that mm -hmm. looks well, and then I thought, well, she's from around here. Maybe she took that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that one was so fun to write. And, um, and it was multi POV, which I hadn't really done. I did a little bit in mastermind murders with the detective and the protagonist. So, uh, but this one was fully immersed multi POV, which was really fun. Um, and then, uh, you know, I published all three of those books in 2020. I was like kicking them out. And then, uh, you know, I already had them kind of loaded and ready before, you know, this worldly event hit us. Right. <laughs> And kind of derailed everything and, you know, coffee shop got all my focus. And so I, I got those three books out. And then in 2021, I started writing my next book um, and I finished it a month before my daughter was born. Wow. So, um, so, but that was just first draft. So um, I wanted to, I had another book, like my first one that I had to get out of my system. And so that one was a passion project. And basically I call it a passion project because a lot of the other books I write are more um, what they call like commercial fiction or sure. basically, you know, it's sellable. You've chosen a genre that is popular in the ranks right now, but you also enjoy writing. You know, it's going to sell, you know how to market it. It's easy to market, you know, your audience, you know, where to go to find that audience. Um, but I had this story clawing at me that I was like, I have no idea how to market this book, but I feel like I have to get it out of my system. So that's why I wrote uh, The Severed Sea, which yeah. is an action adventure, but it's also very psychological thrillery. Uh, for now, it's a standalone. I do see it as a series, but I cannot spend any. It took me like two years to flesh it out and it took me even longer to edit it. And so um, I published it in June of this year uh, and it's kind it's very like JJ Abrams-esque mm. and it's very um, I don't know if you're familiar with like it's like it's like Westworld, Jumanji, those type of worlds where yeah. the character experiences um, where they're psychologically not knowing if it's if they've traveled through time or if it's a fabricated world mm. like you know, like a, a dome that's fabricated. So right, it's right. like this back and forth of like, like what is happening? Is this all just a game or is this real life? That kind of thing. And so uh, just like JJ Abrams, you, you know, he, he writes these massive stories with these massive ideas and you're writing and writing. And then all of a sudden you like get lost <laughs> and you're like, wait, how do I bring this? Story? How do I? Like, I feel like all of his works are like that. And so, so I could see this, this story kind of blowing up like that and going in that direction. Uh, my editor helped me bring it back quite a bit. Um, my editor being one of my publishing partners. So I really right. trust her, um, uh, J.R. Frontera. Um, and she is an amazing editor. She doesn't let me get away with anything. Uh, <laughs> and even if it doesn't make it in the book she's like you need to know these things about this specific thing you know um and so uh she's great and she really helped me kind of like bring it back and uh close up the book you know and um 
for now it's a standalone and the ending is satisfying it does have an ending but i do leave it a little open to to kind of come back to later uh but i'm gonna move back into my uh, commercial fiction next so oh, <laughs> i have plans yeah. You know, youth, I've just got to say, your your youth is so beneficial here. I, when I was a, a younger writer, uh, I, I could do not, not quite that much, but I was pretty prolific. It went from like, uh, my first book took over a period of a year and a half just because I wasn't sure myself and it was crap and then it wasn't and then it was still kind of crap and then it wasn't. And then finally I said, no, it's not crap anymore. Let's put it up. Yeah, but then then like I was just knocking them out every year at least. It's so sometimes a couple of times I overlap two in a year. But now that idea, oh, I'm just old. You know, I, I need a lot more of your coffee, Kristen. I just yeah. need a lot more. <laughs> well, and there's different ways that people write. And, you know, I follow a lot of like the indie um the indie communities, uh, there's a quite a lot of indie authors who spend their time helping other authors and putting yeah. classes on things. And, you know, even though that there are a lot of, there's a lot of advice out there and a lot of people make a career out of sharing what they did to be successful and it might not work for you or whatever, you know, pay, just paying attention and um, going to comp like conferences. One of my favorite conferences was the, the 20 books Vegas conferences because they bring all of the, um, the big wigs from the industry to one place and um, they share, you know, their methods and it might spark something in you that works for you. And so I've tried, I've experimented with those different methods. So I still feel like I'm an infant author because I'm still experimenting and finding what's going on with my books. You know, one way that I did it was I wrote all of them, all three before even publishing the first one. So wow. then I can really make a marketing plan and plan out the launch of all of them without, you know, the um, stress of finishing it, nipping at my heels. Like I could just plan it out and automate it. That's one way. Uh, rapid release, releasing a book every 30 days was really popular for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. But time kind of phases out what works. Um, and then there's the other method of writing the book, releasing it, writing the next one, releasing it. And I also did that way. Um, and I, I honestly can't even tell you which one I preferred. I liked the la the launching after writing method because I need like instant gratification. <laughs> like, I feel like if I'm like in book three and I don't know, like if book one was received well, I'm like, am I wasting my time or am I just going to write it anyway? Even if nobody reads it, like there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, stuff going on with that, but I've done it both of those ways. I've done standalones. I've done series, just kind of seeing what works and what grabs people. And, but I feel like the industry is so fast moving and what works and what doesn't like at one point in time, like offering your first book and series free was really popular for marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And all of a sudden everybody had their Kindles just like loaded with all these free books and they weren't reading it. And there wasn't read through on your series because they yeah. weren't getting to your book because it was amongst thousands. So then offering your book free wasn't good anymore. It didn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just, it just kind of changes with time and you just have to find your people and, you know, keep, keep giving them what you, what you you're creating. And it, and, and that's another reason why I am not a career author right now um, in a sense where it's my main income, because I don't right. really have the time to give to researching the trending mm. uh, changes in the market, you know, in the market and in the industry. So I, I watch, I keep an eye, but, but a lot of the times that's what hangs me up with, 
with marketing and getting my books out there. So, well, I mean, I do that for a living. I'm a, I'm a, I actually, this is funny. I was on a panel in St. Louis and there's an author who wants to hire me. And I said, you do note that I am not a best-selling author. She goes, okay. And I said, well, if I could make somebody a best-selling author by <laughs> with that skill, <laughs> it's it's a tough nut into the, the, the writers out there, particularly you indies or hybrid uh, published folks. It's it's tough. And even though and I've got a lot of friends who are traditionally published and they get virtually no marketing help. It's so much of this is luck. But the thing about our industry that I really don't care for, Krista, and I understand because it's a business. It's not, you know, but is it really it's just a tail eating itself of like the same 50 writers seem to be making 95 percent of the cheddar in the business. And the rest of us are like, you know, open for a few crumbs. But that's why it has to be, I think, well, you've already said it, basically. I mean, you've got to love what you're doing. you got to have that passion. And I do believe everybody gets their moment. You know, I, I feel like my moment's coming. I don't know when, maybe after I'm dead. But <laughs> as long as I have the moment, I'll, if I'm dead, I'll come back for it. I promise. <laughs> what about your imprint? Yeah, uh, we started it in 2013. Right. Um, so it's me and a partner, and we have a third voting member, and the three of us uh, publish under Word Wraith Books. Um, we call ourselves a story studio. So hmm. basically, we don't accept submissions. We only publish ourselves. Uh, and we have our articles of organization. We have our like our business um, manual, if you will, right. that has right. all of our rules and like. Um, how everything is organized, what happens if things go south, which is very important. Um, just uh, everything in there. So um, we, I mean, we've been working together since 2013 and it's going great now. Um, we started as a writing group and uh, half of us, and you know that we, our writing group still meets today on Tuesday nights. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but uh, we have people that come and go and then we just have like us three as the business. But what happened back in the day was, half of us were like hobbyists just kind of like writing for fun. And the other half were like, we're going to do this and we're going to make money doing it. And I was a part of that side. And so our writing group ended up breaking off and um, the, we're going to do it. We're serious about this um, group. We were looking into it. It almost started as like splitting costs arrangement. So oh. we wanted to like get our own ISBN numbers um, at that point, we all chose to publish, uh, self-published, indie publish. Mm -hmm. We we um, we weighed all of our options. So I did at one point in time query traditional publishers and agents. I decided after researching um, that it wasn't for me. Uh, I'm a bit of a um, control freak, <laughs> and I wanted more control over my work than what yeah. traditional are willing to give you a lot of it's out of your control in terms of editing and cover and marketing and you know um sure at maybe at the time there was a little bit of oh you get the validation that this is a real book or whatever if you're traditionally yeah. published and then there was also oh well they have the visibility um but back in 2013 the market was changing and we saw this entire frontier opening up for indie authors yeah. uh it, it was crazy. It was wild just to be like, oh my gosh, like we could do this. You know, like there, there is a platform. If you self-publish, you're not blacklisted anymore. Like there yeah. is 
you know, this, it, there was a lot of opportunity and excitement surrounding indie publishing at that time. So that's what we did. We wanted the ISBN numbers. They're pretty expensive. We thought, Hey, let's buy them in a big old lot and split the cost. And, um, it will be less of a burden for all of us with the, because the, the, the biggest burden with indie publishing, I think is investment up front. Yep as you continue, you can hone your process and you can like do some things internally that people in your group have skills with and things like that. But, but upfront, there's a lot of costs. So we were like, okay, let's buy these ISBNs and split them. But then we saw that if you do that, whoever bought the ISBNs, you're published under their name. Right. So, so that's kind of what led to opening the LLC. We're like, okay, if we open a company name, then it's published under the company's name and not any individual. And then we can all own the company. So, um, so that's what we did. And in the state of the state of Missouri, opening an LLC is pretty achievable. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's not very expensive. There are checklists on the small business, uh, website that you can follow to make sure you're doing everything, everything that you're supposed to be doing. And, uh, so that's what we did and published, uh, one of my books first, and we did kind of a trial and error thing. Um, and now between the three of us, we have probably 30 more titles. We have no more space on our Comic-Con tables. <laughs> we, we've already, we had one table. Now we have two tables and we're like, oh my gosh, can we afford a corner booth? Because we do not have any space. No, I went and looked at your, your, your Facebook and saw some of the, and the, all of this, I saw your Comic-Con tables and I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. And I, at first I thought, is this all Chris? And then I realized, no, it's, it's you, it's you and your partners, um, and it's just beautiful. Gosh, just look at the covers. You start drooling and how wonderful they are. No, th this stuff looks fantastic. T tell us in the, we got a, just a couple of minutes left, but what's the Comic-Con circuit like? And I'm curious about that because I've heard of people who, they don't even necessarily write, it's, it doesn't have to be graphic novels or comics necessarily even. Is there really a little niche for fiction writing that's not particularly comic related? Yeah, absolutely. So Comic-Cons, uh, you know, they were fully like comics to begin with, but right. over time, especially the show that's in Kansas City, it's incredible. It's called Planet Comic-Con. It's really turned into almost like a multimedia, like um, like a uh, pop culture show. So movies, books, uh, comics are still part of it. Lego, um, fandoms, all of it, video games. It's all kind of mashed into one. And um and the show is very well organized. It's been running for a long time. There are lots of tips and tricks that you can do as authors getting in. One of them is that we um, we ask, we request to not be put where the other authors are. <laughs> so we actually request to be put in Artist Alley. And you can see some artists in some in Artist Alley. You can see some authors like peppered throughout it. But we like specifically ask for that because sometimes people are like, I don't want to look at books. I'm not going to go to the author section. But they're just right. kind of cruising down our aisle. And then they see something that catches their eye. There's so much psychology that goes into just kind of like engaging with people. And I love Comic-Cons because you get to see people what catches their attention on your yeah. table, what covers, what colors are drawing their eye, which ones they pick up. If they pick it up and read the back, was there something wrong with your blurb, your product description, or is that just not their cup of tea? But if it wasn't their cup of tea, would they have picked it up to begin with? Like you get to see in real time people shopping your product. And so it's it's very interesting to, to observe. Um, and uh, we also, another trick is that we do panels. And so yeah. 
speak on panels. We do a self-publishing 101 one because we offer a resource guide for other authors that are kind of just starting out. We were there once uh, that just has a ton of websites and resources that we've used that they can look into. And so then we engage in research in that. And that's how I um that's how I network for authors at the coffee shop. And then we also do panels that are uh, reader centric. And then when we do that, always, almost always, if not always, people will come to our table after to chat with us because they didn't get a question in or they wanted to hear more about something. And them coming to our table to engage is also really good um, validation that we did. Us investing our time and offering our, you know, our time for a panel has paid us back and the fact that they came to our table and most of the time right. always buy books. So yeah. um, in our tactics, like our, there's a lot of people out there that do different tactics for marketing and we are not the kind that's like in your face, like, Hey, what do you read? You know, like trying to like snatch people. Like we, we are very like, they want to read a book, then they are going to come up and look and read your books. Like they're not, we, we're not very, um, we don't like the sleazy marketing, you know, begging people to read our books. Like we want to find the right audience. So I like that, I like that a lot. So that's important too, because when you're at Comic-Cons, you observe other vendors and how they market and you learn what is the right thing to do and what's not, or how for you, it's a, it's like oh, a uh, feeling. Come on, Kristen, give it to us. Give us one thing you like, you look and go cringe. Just <laughs> you don't, don't name any names, but is there one tactic you see? You're just like, Oh, oh always. Oh, like we see, we see the ones where you can just tell from the customer perspective, because as writers, we always have to look at the at the reader's journey, right? Like even in the formatting of our books, like what journey are they going to go on experiencing your product? And so I observe these customers walking down the aisle, like trying not to make eye contact with the vendors because, <sighs> because there are some vendors that are like, they will... Um, They'll trap you with a question and then you feel like you can't get away. And some people will just buy something to get you to stop talking to them. <laughs> like, <laughs> what can I buy to make you go away? <laughs> and I, I have seen it. I, I won't name drop, um, <laughs> but we have definitely witnessed it time and time again. So we know what we don't want to be. <laughs> Well, I've got a I've got a friend of mine, young friend, he's a cosplay photographer, and he keeps saying, You ought to come out, you ought to do it, you know. And I thought I thought about setting up a booth with my books, but also to like set up the podcasting rig and just you know promote the the show and my work, but also talk to people who want to talk, come up, authors that are other booth people, come talk to me. We're gonna put it out in a special episode, something like that. I don't know if that apply. I don't know if that's allowed, even I haven't even looked, but I, I thought that would be something just fun for me to do. Like you said, kind of a fact-finding mission, but also get some content and maybe sell a book or two. I don't know. I might check into that. And you know, I always tell myself, you know, career authors may something say something different, but not all not all success and not all gain is monetary. Yeah. <laughs> so you you get a I get a lot out of doing these shows um that's not monetary that is very uh validating and as authors sometimes we sit at home we're like we're not a real author you know <laughs> but doing like the, the these events like make you feel like this is why I do this you know yes. so it's I think so it's true. good exercise yeah <laughs> it's so true yeah you know folks I I've struggled with this too my grandfather wrote westerns for 50 years he was a legit mid-list author he did great he had a great career and i've had a hybrid you know stuff out and some some indie at the beginning and um 
but you you, you still kind of, I still have that because I learned at his knee, so to speak. But it's interesting when I put together his last book that didn't go out and I got it after he passed away and I put, finished it for him and put it out. And I just said, cause, cause he's not on, he's not on the, on, he, he died before there was an internet. Yeah. He died like right before the, yeah, where he died at the turn of the century, but he stopped working before there was. And I got his last book out there and I'm like, you know, grandpa, Hey, um, I hate to break it to you, but you're now an indie, uh, <laughs> any published book guy and he's you know somewhere he's i hope he's proud but the point being i used to struggle with that too but i've written a half a million words in my series you know and if that doesn't make me a writer i don't know what the hell else i does. know right <laughs> i know and anybody who doesn't think that well sorry take your stuffiness elsewhere but you know i i, 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 I so admire you for this you you're a, well, you're just a ball of fire, first of all, but it just, I just love that your energy. But uh, what I do love so much about you is the uplift for everybody else. Yes. Um, you don't look at it. You don't look at it competitively, do you? Not at all. It doesn't seem. Not at all. I think we're all in it together, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many ways that we can help each other to achieve what we want as well with um, if we're in the same genre, there's like things you can do with your newsletter, like swapping, swapping newsletters and sharing yeah. audience yeah. with each other. And yeah, people are going to keep reading. They're not just right. going to read one book and then stop like this is the book. Right. <laughs> no. If somebody's doing that, writing the same thing as me, that's actually better for me. Yeah, because yeah. it's like everybody likes ice cream. But, you know, uh, I know that my flavor, you're going to run out of my flavor. So get to Kristen's flavor next. You know, you know, that's that's the way I look at it. You know, I look at it the same way with the coffee shop, because there are especially, you know, in Kansas City, there's a ton of coffee shops in Parkville alone. I was the only one for a long time. And yeah. now there's like five or six. And if I wallowed in the fact that there was competition knocking on my door, I would never grow. And so yeah. I have to look at it as my community i've grown here and my community will keep coming here and they're going to come to my shop because they want to come to my shop and not because i'm the only option and so that that if i have that perspective then i you know you can move forward <laughs> it's so. true they say comp competition makes you better that's just that's why there's anti-monopoly laws in the united states that are occasionally put into effect um but that's why we don't have monopolies because uh that leads to stale concept, no innovation, price fixing, all these things. So it's great. Although I've only been, I'll admit, I've been to one other coffee shop in Parkville, but yours is my favorite. That's where I go. And I'm just serious. Uh, folks, if you want to go to this beautiful, if you've never been to Parkville, if you're in the Kansas City area, it's right on the river. It's beautiful. She's in the, the old town. I don't know what you call it, the old town portion, um, but it's Parkville Coffee. And there'll be a link in the show notes to their Facebook page. And Kristen, tell us, are you, is your author page right now on Facebook or do you have another thing or where do we go yeah. look for more information? Yeah. Social media wise, the only one my author page is on is Facebook. And then you can find me um, on my website, kristenhelling.com. Uh, sign up for my newsletter there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I, I could go on. You are just a delight. And I, thanks again. And thanks again for, for stocking my books. I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I keep reminding people on the show, if you're in the area, go buy one. So uh, please do that. But buy, as Chris and I both agree, buy somebody else's books too. get out there and try something new. Um, and I'm looking forward to your series. And again, there'll be links in the show notes, everybody at mgopod.com. Kristen Helling, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll have to do it. Uh, you're the cream in our coffee. I really appreciate you doing <laughs> the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun.
Next time, it's Fred Cray, who takes us on an incredible journey through the life of Aladar, the intricacies of animal law, and the underbelly of horse racing's golden age. Don't miss it. Next time here on Mysterious Goings On, it's Fred Cray, author of Broken. Nobody I have ever talked to has ever heard of a horse, number one, breaking his leg by kicking the stall door, and two, breaking the bracket off and getting his yeah. leg caught in the door. Those two things have never happened. I have since heard uh, on my Twitter page from, from uh, veterinarians who've said, yeah, I have seen this happen. And my answer to that is, I'm sure you have, but have you heard of all these other facts in your case that surround Aldor's death? So I want to also create the mindset that, you know, looking back on it in hindsight, it does sound ridiculous that they paid, you know, the 41 and a half million, but here's how they're coming into this. They're coming into this with a farm that is one of the most prestigious farms in Lexington. It's had eight Kentucky Derby winners, two Triple Crown winners. They're in the black. Aladar's making 100000 to 150000 to $200,000. Every time he has a, a cover, he's doing it 100 times a year. Why on earth would anybody hurt this horse? It's just crazy. It has to be an accident. That's how everybody uh, looked at this. And when you look back at that context, you can see why Dr. Bramley's and these guys said, well, how could this have been an accident? We have to figure this out. And they came up with this, his, you know, getting his, ca his hoof caught between the stall door and the stall wall and twisting it. None of the people involved in this did it in bad faith. You know, the first thing you think is, ah, oh, it's a payoff. You know, they're, no, all these people, Dr. Bramley's, Dr. Baker, Dr. Rhodes, Tom Dixon, all these guys were acting in bad faith and what they saw was here's a horse that's making all this money he's beloved there's no reason for this to be done it has to be an accident so it's the kind of thing that when i interviewed the the uh, the fbi agent who was in charge of the investigation said you know when you come into a case like this and you think you're looking for an accident you find an accident it wasn't until later that facts started coming out and the first facts that came out were the knowledge of Calumet's financial condition. Hmm. When they declared bankruptcy, you know, after Aladar died, you know, like six or eight months later, and it came out that they owed $120 million. Now people start thinking, well, if they owed that much money, what did they have to pay off the bank that they owed $50 million, who before Aladar's accident said, listen, if you don't pay this, Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.